The Bible says one day this earth, this planet, is going to melt like the snow. Be here, and then it's gone. And a new heaven, a new earth will come down out of heaven. And uh, uh, what, forever we'll be with the Lord then. It'll all be done at that point. Sin is no more. So let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And uh, we've been talking about fear. And do we believe, do we truly believe that God is greater than our anxiety, than our fear? Do we believe that God can actually get rid of your fear and anxiety? And if so, where in the Bible would it talk about that? Where would it be said? Gave it away already, right? Philippians 4. You're like, Pastor Joe, you told us to turn there. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse, really going to focus on verses 6 and 7. But the whole chapter is written to this, to a degree, to this uh, exhortation of understanding the sovereignty of God. And when we understand the sovereignty of God, it's going to encourage us and it's going to motivate us. Now, in this passage of scripture, and I'm going to touch it a little bit, but I'm not going to beat it like a dead horse that it is. There is a portion of scripture that's going to be read in this passage that is quoted so much today. Okay? This is a verse that's quoted all the time. Sports athletes will quote it. Uh, you'll hear people quote it when they're afraid to do something. They'll quote it. Um, but this verse in context, I would argue, is way more powerful than the way that we use it today out of context. And uh, the way the verse is used in our modern world does not carry the promise that it does when it's in context. So you say, I don't know what passage you're talking about. Well, just stay tuned. You'll, you'll hear it when you hear it, okay? So Philippians chapter 4, let's start at verse 2, or let's, let's start at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, how often should we rejoice? So when Russian bombs are dropping on your Ukrainian house, what should Ukrainians be doing? That seems a little weird, doesn't it? I mean, let's take scripture and apply it to today. When, when, when you open your mail and you have more bills than you have money, what should you do? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say... Really? Really? That's how the average Christian lives today, right? That's how we live every day. I mean, we just walk around, rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, oh, you got cancer? I'm sorry. Rejoice in the Lord always. Practically, though, if I had cancer, do I have reason to rejoice in the Lord? If I have a house that I'm still living in, do I have reason to rejoice in the Lord? If I still have air in my lungs and I'm alive despite the circumstances around me, do I have enough reason to rejoice in the Lord by itself? Yeah, that's what the verse means. Not as we go through life and we get bad circumstances, rejoice and be exceedingly good for great. No, we have reason. If we're alive and breathing, we have reason today to rejoice in the Lord. 
What would we rejoice in? We have a Savior who died for us. We have a Savior who died for us. Absolutely a reason to rejoice. We have victory already promised, whether by life or by death. Paul said it best, right? Whether I'm alive or whether I die, I want to be with the Lord. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got this concept. We're not careful to answer you, O king, in this matter. If it be so, if we have to go to the fiery furnace, if it be so, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not bend, we will not bow, and the inference is, we will not burn. You can't touch us. So rejoice and be exceedingly God. Rejoice in the Lord always. We have reason to rejoice in the fact that we're alive today, living in America. Do you realize that? You say, but our freedoms are taken away. Are they? How much freedom do you have in Jesus Christ? You see, when we put the attention on the wrong object, we get a false perception. Our freedoms are being taken away. Are they? Who gives freedom? We hold these truths to be self-evident. What does self-evident mean? God-ordained. Our country is founded on the rights that God ordained mankind to have. There are inalienable rights that every human being has. And you have the choice to rejoice in whatever situation you find yourself in. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking and being of, in need, for I have learned in what situation I am to be content. For I now know how, to, how I ought to be brought low, and I know how I ought to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you have heard that verse out of context? You say, well, I don't know. What's the context? Does this verse mean that I can do whatever I want to do because I have the strength of God behind me? Now be careful. Be careful. I'm beating you. You know what the verse says? Whether you're in need or you have enough or more than enough. Whether I'm in need or I'm abounding. Whether I'm in hunger or I'm fat. Whether I have need or I have everything I need, I always should be content. That's what the verse teaches. These are the verses right in front of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
So think about this. This verse is not a physical verse as much as it is a spiritual verse. How do you rejoice in the Lord always? That's the start, right? Rejoice in the Lord under what conditions, God? All conditions. No matter what you're going through, you have reason to rejoice. If you're alive and breathing, you have reason to rejoice. And Paul says, let me give you my firsthand testimony about this. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to see God do miraculous things in front of me. I know these things, but I know more than anything else that whatever God ordains me to do for his glory, I have everything I need to do it. Now that sounds a whole lot better than God, I'm an athlete and I want to win the Super Bowl. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. Who gets the glory in that? I get it. God, give me the strength. I can think of a guy who prayed that way. God, give me strength one more time so I can prove and give vengeance on my enemies. Right? Samson, what happened that day? His enemies died. Who got the glory? Mm, Samson, God kind of shared who should have got the glory who should have never lost his eyesight God honored it despite what his servant did God's will was still accomplished Samson was sent to be a judge against who the ones he killed so did he do his job in the end yeah he did his job in the end did he do it willingly or did he do it unwillingly I think that was an unwilling Yeah. But you know what that also tells us? God can and will use anybody. He can do all things. He can do anything he wants to do. He can bless you and he can not bless you. Does that change who he is? Does it change how we should worship him? If you got bombs on your head or you got sun over your sun in your skies, does that change how you should worship God? Does, has God changed in his ability, character, or power? No. So these verses are teaching us that regardless of what's going on in our lives, we can always depend on the all-powerful one who has the ability to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According, here's the key, according to him, his riches, his glory, his person of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's dig into this passage a little deeper. And as we're talking about the idea of fear not, as we understand, and really what this is a guise for is this, we're talking about the sovereignty of God. Okay? We fear when we don't think God is sovereign. We fear when we doubt God's ability. Can I say it that way? And if we're doubting God's ability, what are we saying God isn't? We're saying he's not God, that he's not all powerful, that he's not omnipresent, that he can't handle all my problems. So God, you take the day off and I've got this. And how's that work out for man? Anytime he does that in the scriptures, how's that work for you in your past? When God says, I want you to do that. And you're like, you know, I got I'm going to do this. I got this. Take the day off. Look with me at verse six again. Let's grab our context here. Read. Um, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. 
okay? But in everything. <laughs> so we got two big words there, right? Anything excludes what? <laughs> and everything excludes what? So we have two extremes here, don't we? Never be anxious. Always be praying and talking to God. So when we get anxious, let's talk about cause and effect here. When we don't pray and we don't give thanks to God, what is man's natural tendency going to be to gravitate towards? Being anxious, fearful, worry. But if we're praying and we're giving thanks to God and we're talking to God and we're giving, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, he'll direct your paths, casting all our cares on him for he cares for us. You know, plenty of Bible verses support this. But if we're giving thanks and, and making our requests known to God, then who has our problems? So what are you going to worry about? I guess you can worry about worrying. I got nothing to worry about. What should I worry? You'd look crazy. You'd look insane. For the believer, you realize we can have absolute peace in our lives all the time. It's actually what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches Christians should have peace in their life all the time. Why? God is the God of how much peace? If he's the God of all peace, then as we pull out of his peaceness, as we suck peace out of him, how much peace does he have? It never, it never, you can't diminish it. It's like his power. If we presume on his power and need his power and say, God, I need your help, and, and he helps us, is he deficient to help somebody else then? No. Why? Because he's all power. And, and if he has to give us grace and we presume on his grace and his mercy and, and he gives to us grace and mercy and now he doesn't have enough to go around because. No, he's all grace. He's all mercy. He's all love. This is what makes God God. He is the source of all things. This is why we have direct access to a creator God. And if we have direct access to a creator God, then what in the world do we have to be anxious about? This is why Ukrainians can be in a subway singing praise to God. Because you know what? They don't have nothing to lose. What do they have left? They have their life. And who's in control of their life right now? Them? That storm shelter going to help the bunker buster bomb that the Russians can drop on that subway station? No. And they know that. They're not going to go stand in the front line and say, send me to Jesus. They're not going to do that either. But they're going to do what they need to do to protect their family and glorify God. And say, God, we can't stop this from happening. You're allowing this to happen. We're going to sit here and we're going to be faithful. And whether it be the end or the beginning, we're going to be faithful. We're going to hold our witness. You know, this is going on in Afghanistan. It's going on in Iraq today where Christians are being beheaded for their faith. And they're standing strong in the face of adversity. Why? Because they're not anxious about this life. They're not anxious. You know, football, basketball, hockey, baseball, none of those things matter in eternity. None of them do. What shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and what? 
lose his own soul? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? You see, a lot of the anxiousness we have in our world today is created by our greed. Well, I got to go here. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to. And a lot of the anxiousness we have comes back to managing our time. Our first series. But when we don't manage our time well and we get behind a little bit, what happens? When you run late to something, what happens? Get a little anxious, don't you? Get a little snippy. You get a little short fused. You get a little anxious. But notice what he says here. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and of love and a self-discipline. Remember that from last week? We talked about that. There's good fear and there's bad fear, right? The good fear is when we recognize God, who he is, and we stand in awe of him. We fear God. That's not like I'm afraid God's going to whack him on me. That that is a recognition of his sovereignty in my life. So I fear him. I give all or reverence to him and honor to him. But there's also the other fear that's bad. The fear that says God's not enough. I don't trust God. I don't think God can do this for me. So for many of us, fear and anxiety are ever ready responses to any trouble that we face in life. And it's so deeply ingrained in our thinking that we could say fear has become the habit for some of us. Some of us have a habit of fear. If we don't have anything to worry about, we worry that we're not worrying about something we should worry about. Or we look for a reason to worry. Or we look for a situation to make a lot of drama out of. The good thing about habits is you can develop new habits. And the Bible tells us we're new creations created in Christ Jesus. So he has given us the ability through the Holy Spirit of God to change the habits in our life, to change the things that we focus on. So the first thing I want you to see is this. Number one, we can be free from fear and anxiety in our lives. The Bible flat teaches you can be free of this. Do you believe that? You can be free of it. You, you can get rid of it. Paul says, <laughs> I like what Paul actually says. Paul sounds delusional when he says this. Don't be anxious about anything. What do you mean don't be anxious? I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen. But we have a God who does. You realize that? We have a God who knows what's going to happen to you an hour from now. What are you going to do an hour from now? Do you even know? God knows. God's not shaken. God knows what's going to happen. He knows the past, the present, your future. I think we can all agree that we live a life, that, uh, uh, that trying to live a life completely free from fear and anxiety sounds too good to be true. Right? But it isn't. It isn't when we place our focus in the right place. You see, so many times we look at this world for answers and we don't look to God. And, and as I read this, I, I got thinking, I was like, okay, if I wanted to be anxious about something, you know, Paul was never in a Minneapolis traffic jam. All right? I don't think on the uh, island of Crete he got stuck in traffic. Uh, I, you know, I don't think Paul ever had a mortgage payment to worry about. Um, you know, trying to get that paid or, um, you know, Paul is, is writing this and I, I, I'm thinking of different things that could happen. I mean, he's never had to live with social media, right? I mean, people talking bad about him on the internet and worry about what that's going to do to your, your reputation. And, and Paul never really had healthcare deductibles. 
to pay that were astronomical. I mean, he didn't struggle with anything like that. Um, he never had his credit card hacked. You know, I mean, he didn't struggle. So Paul, you don't even know what you're talking about, man. We have all kinds of reasons to be anxious today. <laughs> Let's go to 2 Corinthians here for a second. Let's go to 2 before we before we hammer Paul too hard. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start with verse 24. And uh, I put, we got the verses on the screen here, so you can follow the screen. Let's read this together, shall we? Let's read it out loud, 24 through 28. And this is Paul's testimony of his life and how good God is to him, okay? Let's read this. Five times... Paul has no idea what it's like to live today. Traffic in Minneapolis got nothing on what Paul has. And notice the last word he used there. Did you catch it? What is Paul worried about? He's worried about people hearing the gospel. He's not worried about being shipwrecked. He's not worried about getting robbed. He's not worried about any of the other stuff. You know what keeps Paul awake at night? You know what makes Paul uncomfortable? You know what makes Paul worry or be anxious? Now, it seems like he's contradicting himself here, isn't it? Doesn't it? Don't be anxious in everything and everything rejoice. Well, I think Paul did rejoice in the shipwrecks because he saw God deliver him. I think he did see God in the robberies, because who took care of them? I think Paul did see he was beaten, but not beaten to the point of what? He's still here to talk about it. Um, so in, in, in all these things, he actually saw God work. And isn't it many times in our adversity that we actually see God? How clear are the, Ukra how, how clear are the Ukrainians on who God is right now? Isn't that pretty clear? They kind of got like 20-90 vision or I don't know, what's what 90-20? Whatever, whatever's better. I don't know how that. I can't even see myself, let alone 20-20. But apart from all the other things, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the church. Who put that anxiety there? Who did? And then he writes. I can do all things, except I can't do everything for the churches. I can do all things, except I can't do things that I can't do. So what's Paul talking about here in Philippians 4? It can't be that he can be Superman to everything and accomplish everything because he names Jesus. 
then there must be a deeper meaning to what Philippians 4 is trying to get across to, to us today. So let's, let's dig in. Paul has, has as much experience as any of us in trials and tribulations. So when it comes to trial and tribulations, Paul says, I've got you on that. He had ample opportunity to be scared out of his mind. But what bothers him is the concern for the churches. In light of this, Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Not that I'm in speaking and being of need. Does Paul have needs? I'm sure he had needs when he wrote this. I'm sure he was, uh, well, Philippians is called a what epistle? What kind of epistle is Philippians? A prison epistle. So Paul's writing this from where? Prison. And he's writing this and he says, I'm not speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I'm in, be content. Chained to soldiers in a prison. I've showed you guys the prison before. You remember, we looked at that. A round room. Verse 12, check this out. I know how to be brought low. Was Paul ever brought low? What about when he got knocked off his, uh, his donkey? He's brought pretty low there, blinded. And I know how to abound. Where, where do we see Paul abounding? How about when he stands before the rulers and flat tells them what he believes? Right? In every circumstance, I have learned the secret to facing what? Plenty of hunger, plenty of abundance, plenty of need. He's like, I associate with all these things. I know all these things really well. I've experienced them. Second Corinthians says he experienced them. What if Paul knew a secret to living a life free from fear and free from anxiety? Do you think he did? Do you think there's something bigger driving Paul here than I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Woohoo! Till I fail. Then I doubt God. Because who failed? I can do all things. Except for when I can't. Must be a God problem. Let me give you the secret to Paul's success. Number one, it's simply this. We must first give everything back to God. What is your life? It's a vapor. First thing you have to do is you have to give your life to God. If you give your life to God, who controls it? Who wills it? Whose is it to do with whatever he wants? So what, are you, what do you have in it? Thanksgiving and praise. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Wouldn't it be neat if we read that somewhere? Where, where, anybody know a passage of scripture we can find that in? Philippians 4 maybe, right? It's right there in the text with us. So you got to give it all to God first. You know what? When God takes away everything out of your life and only God's left, when do you usually surrender? Right? <laughs> in a bunker. When bombs are raining down over your head from somebody else, you say, I only got God left. I got to give my life to God. I got to give everything. And every Christian who professes the name of Christ today, who has eternal life, had to come to a place in the life where they said, this is not mine anymore, this is yours, God. My life is yours. And God says, if you give me your temporal life, I'll give you everlasting life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
right? So first thing we got to do is we got to give everything to God. It sounds simple. I know it sounds too Christian. But the secret that Paul learned about fear and anxiety and worry is that they belong in the hands of God, not yours. Let God worry about tomorrow. In Sunday school, uh, it was brought up about Job. And Job's worrying about everything, except he's worrying about nothing. He's worried about everything and nothing all at the same time. And God flat says, Job, who worries about tomorrow? Who, who provides for all the things tomorrow? Who feeds the sparrow? Who takes care of the mountains? Who takes care of the lily in the field? Do you even give a rip that a flower grows somewhere? No. Have you ever produced one thing, Job? No. I have. So stop worrying, Job. I've got this. Trust me. Trust me. The secret sauce is gratitude laced in prayer in every circumstance and every situation. The secret sauce is the gratitude laced in prayer in every circumstance and every situation you find yourself. It's not the fear. It's not the anxiety. It's not the worry. It's not the doubt. It's that they have no place in our lives. If we're worrying, who are we not trusting? If we're trying to control things, who's not controlling things? And if we're trying to be God, then who isn't God in our life? You see it? Paul says, you want to know the secret to having a joyful life? Stop worrying about things you have no business worrying about. Think about that. So you've got to give it all to God, number one. Number two, you've got to make your request known to God. You've got to tell God what your needs are. Now, this one's kind of funny, too, if you think about it theologically, right? Why am I telling God, who's omniscient, what I... But didn't he already tell us in the Bible, I've already supplied your need before you ever needed it? I love the book of Daniel on this one, right? Anybody with me on this? In Daniel, Daniel prays to get a message from God. His prayer was answered before he prayed it. Because for how many days the angel of the Lord was fighting against the prince of Persia and finally delivers the message when the message needs to get there. But it was already in the works before he ever prayed. Now how in the world do you act on something you don't know about unless you already knew? And an omniscient God doesn't need anything revealed to him. So when we make our request known to God, who is that for? That's for us. The first step in any recovery process in the secular world today is what? Admitting you have a... Guess what? Where'd they get that principle from? Where do you think they found that? It's biblical. So, one of the things that I love about God is that he's not surprised about the way that you act or the way that you feel or the way that you think. Why? He knew you before you did it, you thought it, or could even come about it. By the way, when did God want you to be saved? When you cleaned your life up or before you ever did it? God is not willing that any should perish. You see, we have this idea, if I clean my life up, then I can get saved. No, you get saved, God will probably clean your life up. Just saying. That's probably what he would do for you. You know, he formed us, he knit us together where? In our mother's womb. 
I don't have time, but we could go to John 9 and kind of figure this one out, right? What sin did this man commit? Or did his parents commit? Or did he commit that he should be born blind? How, how, how can you commit sin before you're born? And what sin did his mother or father commit that he should be born blind? Why am I paying the consequence for the father's sin? That, that's, this doesn't make any sense. It conceptually, it doesn't make sense. It's almost as ludicrous as Nicodemus in John 3. Should I crawl back up into my mother's womb a second time? <laughs> Nick, is that even possible? <laughs> You're talking crazy here. And you know what? It's just as crazy for us to think that God in his great love towards us didn't see us and love us when we were unlovable, that we got to clean our lives up and then he could love us. Jesus sent his son when we were still sinners. When we were in the act of sinning, Christ died for us. Think about that. It's not based on our performance, it's based on our belief. He formed us, he knit us together in the wound, he numbered our days, he knows the number of hairs on your head. Mine changes daily. But I guarantee you this, he doesn't think your irrational fear is silly. He thinks it's a real problem and he wants to fix it. He wants to take your fear, take your worry, and he wants to own it, casting all our care on him. How do we do that? Well, we do everything by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, making our requests known to God. The text flat tells us in Philippians 4 how to do this. And you know, it might sound something like this. I mean, we could practice this way. Maybe your prayer request might sound something like this. Thank you, Lord, for the home that I have. Thank you for providing shelter and warmth and protection from the sun and rain. I don't know how we're going to pay for our bills this month, but I know you do. So please calm my heart and guide my steps. Maybe it's something like this. Thank you, Lord, for my dad. I love how hard he worked and how much growing up every Saturday morning he would play with us. He's still kind of an angry man, though. And Lord, I'm scared of him. I don't know what's going to happen, and sometimes he gets really angry with me, but help him, Lord, and keep us safe. Thank you, Lord, for the first 70 years you've given to me. I could spend days recounting endless blessings and grace that you poured, poured out into my life. I'm completely humbled by your faithfulness. But the cancer diagnosis I got today, I, don't, I, don't, I know you're not surprised, but I am. I'm a little scared, a little terrified. I don't know who's going to do everything, but you do. I know it'll be okay one way or another, so God help my unbelief. Maybe it's, thank you, Lord, for my children. They're so precious. I love them dearly, but I'm afraid that the life choices they're making are leading them away from you and how we brought them up. I want them to have a relationship with you, but they seem to keep running into the world. I'm scared for them. So thank you for listening, Lord. Help me to look forward to how you're going to guide them and help my unbelief. You know, so many times we can blame God or we can ask God. And when we ask God, we transfer that, that weight, that responsibility from us to who? To him. We cast all our cares. You push them all off and you give them to God. Who knows? These prayers aren't going to be the same. You've got to pray your prayer. 
you gotta you gotta deal with your circumstances. You gotta deal with your short fallings before God. But I can tell you this. If if you do the first two things, this is the secret sauce, the third ingredient then comes together, we can expect full peace in our lives. We can have all peace in our lives. As we pray through fear, through trouble, through adversity, make sure that we simultaneously hold the expectation that God will come through and his will will be accomplished. Maybe not the way we thought it should, but who's sovereign, us or him? He is. And if we've cast all our care on him, who's responsible? He is. And if it is his will to do it, what's he going to do? He's going to do it. And if it's his will to do it later, when's he going to do it? Might be later. If it's his will not to do it, what's he not going to do? And what should our response be in all three of those scenarios? I gave it to God. I gave it to God. And if I gave it to God, what do I have to worry about? It's his will now that's being accomplished. The peace that transcends all understanding, the text tells us. Look with me at verse 6 again. He says this, Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all what? I just don't understand how that person has a peace when they're going through what they're going through. Hello? You know what that screams? Christian alert! It's got to be a Christian. Why? They're not worried. Who's got it? But when we see somebody who professes to be a Christian worrying, who's in control? Who's in control? Hmm. I, I remember the day well. I still remember the doctor telling us he thinks he knows what's wrong. I remember the anxiety, I remember the fear, I remember the unknown, what's going on, what, what's, what's happening here? Is she gonna die, is this terminal? I remember thinking, I wanna do the funeral on my own kid. Something's wrong with this kid. This can't be happening, I mean, I'm in full-time ministry, I surrendered to the Lord, I, I've, I've done so much for God, I mean, I even moved to Minnesota from Kansas for crying out loud. I mean, come on, God. I also remember Christy and I looking at each other, talking a little bit, and I remember the doctor walks in the room and he says, I have good news and I have bad news. I want the bad news. Just give it to me. Cold cock me with it. The bad news, your kid's sick. The good news, it's treatable. Oh, so she's not going to die? Well, not unless you kill her. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you can kill her. So I remember looking at Christy and we kind of looked like, oh, okay. That's good news. It is treatable. But here's the key. It requires a lifestyle change. Life as you know it has changed. And from today forward, you're going to live different than you did before. You say, that sounds kind of radical. And those of you who don't know, my daughter has type 1 diabetes. 
diagnosed at two years old. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what was wrong with her. But you know what? Now that she's almost nine, we have a lifestyle change. Things are different. And you know what? Every single person alive today has a disease. There's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is everybody's sick. The good news is you don't have to die that way. The bad news is everybody's gonna die. The good news is you can die with eternal life. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron. But the problem with eternal life is this, it requires a lifestyle change. Because when you surrender your life to God, you give up control. When you give your life to the Lord, you give up your rights, your desires, and your wants for his rights, his will, his desires, and his wants. And this is the area in which Paul begins to pen these words in Philippians in chapter four. And he says this, I know what it's like to need things. I know what it's like to have everything you need. And I know that there is a peace that passes all understanding because I have it. And I want you to have it. And if you have it, then you can go through any circumstance in life because God is strengthening you. Whether it's in need of want, whether it's because you lost somebody, whether it's because you lost a job, whether it's your finances, regardless of what the situation in life is, you can do it, you can go through it because it's not gonna be you doing it. That's why when it says, I can do all things through Christ to what? You're not doing it. That's where the sport guys get it wrong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, whose power are they doing it in? their own. Paul says this, you want to see God move? Get out of his way. Yield it to him. Give your life to him. And when you give your life to him, bad things are going to happen. You realize bad things happen to unsaved too, right? Their, their family members get cancer. Their family members die. They lose their jobs. The difference between a Christian and an unbeliever is this. The Christian shouldn't worry about these things because who's got them? The unbeliever is going to worry about these things. Why? They don't have God. So then they go to substance abuse. They go to stealing. They go to whatever else they can come up with in their own ideas, trying to rectify or fix the situation they find themselves in, only to find that they compound the bad because you can't do it in your own power. You know why? Because we're sick. We have sin in our life. We're sick with sin and sin brings forth what? Death. And Romans 3 tells us all have sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to Who does God want to see get saved? Everybody. The problem is what? Not everybody admits they're sick. And when you admit that you're sick, you have to surrender your will to somebody else. In our situation, it was Dr. Saevitz. We walked into the ER and we said, doctor, I don't know what's wrong. We give up trying to figure out what's wrong. You tell us what's wrong. And he looks at her and says, oh, I think I know what it is. And he walks out of the room. He comes back in, gives her a test and finds out what's wrong. How come we couldn't do that?
because he knows the problem and he knew the solution. And you know what? We have a great physician in heaven who knows the problem and he knows the solution. Now we could have listened to Stavitz and said, you know what? Thanks for your opinion, but we're going to go somewhere else. I want to hear good news. Or we could say, you know what? Let's listen and learn. And by listening and learning, guess what we got? We got peace. We got peace with God. And you know what? Did it require work? Yeah. Did it require a lifestyle change? Yeah. Do we still live with it every day? Yeah. Do I quote, I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me every time we give her a shot? No. You know why? We already gave her to God. And if God wants her to live or die, if we walk in one morning and she's dead in her bed because she went into a diabetic coma in the middle of the night, so be it. Remember Jody Olson? Jody died of diabetic coma. It can happen any time for diabetics. But here's the reality. We can die any time too. It can happen to us. Are we ready to go see Jesus? Are we ready? Do we have peace about that? Are we confident about that? Are we sure that we're going to go and see Christ? Are we sure that he can do all things? He can take care of our family. He can take care of the mortgage. He can take care of the house. He can take care of our loved ones. And if we truly believe that, then what's going to stop us from going in the world and proclaiming who he is? Nothing. And we would have peace about it. Paul says, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, to, to be beaten. I know what it's like to go through all these problems. Now, I know there's some here today that probably still have doubts. I know there are some that are facing really hard situations, medical diagnosis, adversity, work. I know that a life free from fear and anxiety seems kind of ludicrous to some degree. But all I can ask you is this. This next week, try to develop a habit of trusting God in all your circumstances. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Casting all our anxiety on him because what? He actually cares. Do you realize the God of Christianity is the only God that cares about his people? In all other religions, the people are trying to make God happy. Only in Christianity does God have all joy that he's trying to get to his people. It's backwards if you think about it. In all of the religions, it, you're trying to make the God happy. But in Christianity, God says, I'm the one that's happy. I want to give it to you. But we have to take it. The difficulty is developing the habit in which you place the troublesome situations and circumstances from our hands to God's hands. That's the hardest part. Letting go. Letting go. It's like the person that's hanging from a rope. Remember the old guys with the, the trampoline, the firemen that had the trampoline and they're hanging from the windowsill and what are the firemen yelling? No! How are you going to get saved? Let go! No! And they're hanging there and their fingertips are, are, are scraping the ledge. They're about ready to fall and they're about ready to fall to what they know is absolute death and they finally, their grip lets loose and what happens? They fall and they're saved. And you know what? So many times that's us with God. We're just falling and scraping down the wall with our fingertips, trying to hold on. And God's like, just let go. 
Just let go. So this week, let's commit to changing our habits by letting go and, and, and fearing God. Giving God the anxiety, giving God the worry, giving God the fear, and expecting divine peace that, that transcends what's going on in our life. How can you not be worried about what's going on in the world? Well, it's pretty easy. God's got it. Well, I want to know your God because my God ain't got it. I ain't got it figured out. I want your God. I want what you have. Let me give you the secret sauce here, okay? It's actually really easy. It's four things. Thank, tell, thank, trust. Say it together. Let's say it together. Thank, tell, thank, trust. If you look at Philippians 4, that's all it says. Thank God for who he is. Tell him what we need to let go of. Thank him for what he's going to do with it and trust him that he will. It's Christian life. It's Christian life from our salvation to, to our resources, to our problems, to everything. This is how Paul lived his life. He thanked God. He told God. He thanked God and he trusted God. There's so much unhealthy fear in our world today. So much of it for even legitimate reasons. But it's time for believers to recognize what God has called us to do and to live above what the world does. It's time for us to come out from among them and be separate on purpose. Tell God what your worries are. Give it to him and then trust him. Thank, tell, thank, trust. Let's do that together here as we close. Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you that you do reveal to us what your will is. And Father, you tell us what your expectations are. And Father, we fall short of you so many times. Matter of fact, Lord, we fall short of you all the time. And Lord, you're not, you don't want us to live in fear. You don't want us to live in anxiety. You don't want us to live worried about tomorrow. You're the God of today. You're the God of tomorrow. You're the God of eternity. So Father, you don't worry about these things as we do. And Lord, when we put on a, a finite view of you, we really try to take your place. When we think you can't or you won't, then, then we try to play God. And Father, help our unbelief in that area. Lord, strengthen our faith in you. Help us to see that you are enough for us, that you are the source of hope and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and gentleness and meekness and temperance. And my God shall supply all our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And Father, we can do all things through you because you do strengthen us. But Father, it's not so that we can get what we want out of it. It's so that you can get what you want out of it. And Father, sometimes you take us through the valley for others to see your faithfulness. Sometimes you allow us to be in the storm or in the, in the bomb shelters to show the world and, and even American Christians what real Christianity is, singing in the face of adversity, being willing to die for your name's sake. And Father, I pray and, and I thank you for the freedoms that we have, but I pray, Father, that you would make us uncomfortable where we live. I pray that our Christianity might have to be real.
I pray that we would be able to show the people around us true Christianity by rising above the worry and rising above the things that, that bother the people of the world. But your saints, Father, shouldn't be worried by these things because you are in control. And Father, we trust you to do your will and for you to get the glory and for it to be good for other people. So Father, help us to understand Philippians 4 is not a verse that we can run to and, and, and we can quote and, and try to do something in our own power. But it is absolutely a verse that we can run to when things are not right in our lives, when things are going wrong, and we can say, God, it's yours. I give it to you today. And Lord, I'm going to leave it on your altar and I'm going to walk away and I'm going to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I'm going to be a witness to my neighbor and I'm going to be a witness to my friends and I'm going to be a witness to my family. Even though things are not perfect in my life, I know, God, you have it. And Father, if we can live there, what freedom we get from the bond and the snare of Satan. We don't have to live in fear, Father. We can live in spirit and in the truth of Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to keep our eyes fixated on you, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before you endured the cross. You despise the shame. Today you're set at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. And Father, you're saying we can do it through your power. We can do all things when we yield ourselves to you first. Because Father, it's not going to be us doing it, but you through us for your glory. Help us to see that, Father. Help us to live that for your glory. In your name we pray. All God's people said. Thank you.